Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, Romans uh, chapter 5 today is where we're headed. This is the eighth lesson and uh, the, God's power to transform anyone. And that's certainly what God can do and that's what the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure the he wanted to make sure that point got across, and uh, that God can transform anyone. The book of Romans. All right, well, I want to start with this. Uh, that's, that song we just sang, There's Within My Heart, a melody. It's a neat story behind that hymn. man's name was <clears throat> Luther Bridges. He was an evangelist. And during one of his traveling um, services that he was having, his wife and three children went to go stay with her parents, and tragically, a fire started in that home, and all four of his family members, his wife and three children, perished in that, in that fire. And then later, in just the deepest grief that man had ever been through, he wrote those words that we just sang a few moments ago. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus, Jesus whispers sweet and low. And then that, that chorus that we sang over and over again, Jesus, 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 the sweetest name I know. And, you know, it, it's an amazing thing what God can do in a heart. Recently, I went and visited several weeks ago uh, Ray Eichler, <coughs> who has come to this class and very, very faithful, but lately just been dealing with so many physical ailments. He, you know, he drives in his little... Uh, a motorcycle and here and sits back there, but um, he, his wife and his daughters felt like at this point at the hospital, like I said several weeks, so he's doing actually very well now. Uh, I just saw him two days ago, but he, um, he, it looked like it was in his last hours and pretty much his daughters told me that. We, how he looked, everything was pointing to the fact that these were, he was down the last few minutes and I held his hand, walked in, we just wept together, prayed together, talked about the Lord. And that's what, even though he could barely speak, he told me that he had been able to spread the light of Jesus in that hospital room. That's what he wanted to, he was just so blessed by that. He said in particular there was this one young doctor he was praying for and trying to encourage to come to the Lord. <coughs> in his most painful moments, he had Jesus on his mind. You know, I... Like you, anybody who's been around for a little while or gone to church or anybody really, you go through the years and you meet a lot of people that have extraordinary pain and heartache. Throughout the years, I've been there in the moments when people have taken their last breath. I've been part of the group that's singing as, the, as this person passes away into glory. And I've seen Christians going through some stuff that you, we just wouldn't believe. Many of you are going through pain right now. But sometimes you meet a person who's just gone through something and it just hits them one after another, one after another, and just will not let up. And, and then you watch that person and they come to church and they have a smile on their face. And they actually don't just 
sit there and stew, but they actually pour into others. And you talk to them, and they just have this peace that passes understanding, as the Bible says. Someone might ask that person, how are you able to handle all that you've been through? And many times, they'll have one sentence, something like this. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. And they're right. It is because of Jesus. But what, here's my question though. What does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean? It's all because of Jesus. Okay, all right, but, but, but what do you mean? Today we're going to look at what a suffering saint means when he says that one word, Jesus. Uh, there's so much in that one name. There's so much that comes with just being a child of God. In Romans chapter 1 through chapter 4, Paul has given us the bad news. He started off with the bad news because the more he stresses the bad news, it makes the good news gooder. And, and, and that's exactly what Paul did. Everybody's a sinner. Don't anyone try to escape it. Don't anybody try to say, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm sorry. We are all a sinner and we are all under the wrath of God. But then Paul delightfully delivers the good news. And it makes so much sense, and it's so much gooder because Jesus came to save sinners. Yes, you're a sinner, and you are under God's wrath, but Jesus came to save you. Something that you couldn't do yourself, and he will do that by putting a miraculous righteousness in you that you can't attain, that you can't get. And that is the process of justification. And he will justify you. He will declare you righteous. He's not going to necessarily make you righteous here. You're still going to deal with sin but he will declare you righteous. You have, you have righteousness in heaven. Your standing with God is righteous. And then he proved that <clears throat> by saying that the only way to get justification is through faith alone. It's not by works, and he stressed that. And now, starting in chapter five, Paul's gonna show us that, some, that there are some amazing benefits that come with justification. See, all justification has given me this home in heaven. We've we, we now are settled, we know we're saved, but what, do, what, is, what are some of the other benefits that God gives here on earth that we can have in our hearts and in our minds? Some, some might look at salvation and justification as an insurance policy, you know? It only pays once I'm dead. But that's, Paul is saying, no way, no way. <laughs> There's so much more that you get when you get saved. The moment your salvation starts, the benefits start rolling in. So today we're going to talk about justification's benefits package. You'd like to know your benefits package? Here it is, all right? Number one, it is peace with God. Peace with God. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a special, special phrase, peace with God. Even the word uh, sounds soft and serene. Have you ever noticed that? Peace. <laughs> Peace. It's, it's, it's not like the word war you know, or a battle. It's, it's, it's harsh turmoil. Listen to those words. It's peace. Peace. And God certainly wants everybody in this room to have that serene feeling of peace. But that's the peace of God. This is actually, this verse says peace with God. 
which does lead to the peace of God. Let me explain the difference. Paul's talking about the fact that you, that, that God actually is no longer at war with you. <laughs> God is no longer against you. If you are justified by faith, some, you know, some unbelievers might feel peaceful at times, sitting by the ocean, watching the waves. You know, there's just some serene place that you can go that you just feel at peace. But that's not necessarily peace with God. Some unbelievers would even say, listen, I've got nothing against God. I mean, he can do his thing, I do mine. I've got nothing against him. But that's not the problem. God has something against you. God has something against you. You are a sinner and you are under the wrath of God. And until you get that taken care of, you're in big, big trouble. Now, because of our sin, we must be judged by God. It's like Osama bin Laden. He, met, he might have had times after 9-11 where he felt safe and at peace, living wherever he was living. And uh, the whole time, he might have been moments where he just felt, you know, I'm, I'm at peace, I'm at peace, possibly. But he was an enemy of the United States of America, and his day was coming. And we all have our judgment day coming unless we have peace with God. That's what Paul's saying. That's the point he's making. Through Jesus Christ, you do not have to live in fear that God is going to come find you and kill you. Justification means that you have peace with God. He's not going to come blow you up one day. And this is peace with God. And that leads to peace of God, the peace of God. There's nothing more settling in your heart than having the sin issue settled. I'd rather, listen, I would rather be at peace with my eternity than have all of Musk and Bezos' money combined. Do you realize that much of the world today, this morning, does not know what it's like to have peace with God? In fact, there are billions of people in this world right now who are spending their entire life trying to appease the gods. They do all sorts of things. They beat themselves, they dance around fire in masks, they pray five times a day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, or God is gonna come down and strike me. God never intended people to live like that. He has made a way for peace with God, and everybody can have that. But again, as it says here, we have peace with God through who? through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's it. Then Paul says another benefit that you get for the the born-again Christian will receive is access by faith. Access by faith. Look at verse two. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein ye stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's first talk about that First phrase there, access. The word access is the word, this is beautiful, for introducing or ushering someone into the presence of royalty. It's the word that they would use when they would bring somebody in before the king. It describes the whole process of being ushered in to the court and then actually announced. It's somebody bringing you in and announcing your name before the king, which then implies that now you have the right or opportunity to address the king, to address the ruler. What a beautiful picture this is. Access by faith. Jesus found you. 
If you're a believer, if you're a born-again Christian, if you've accepted Jesus, here's how this went. Jesus found you a homeless beggar sitting on the street with no hope to ever meet the king, much less be anywhere near him. And Jesus picks you up, he brushes you off, and he leads you to the palace. Then because Jesus is walking with you, you go right past the gates where the guards are and into the grand courtyard. And then he leads you up the steps and the doorkeepers there with their giant doors, though they just open the door. And as you walk in, they're bowing to the man next to you. He walks you through the entrance hall where hundreds of angels are all just there busy doing their work. Beautiful, golden uh, palace that you're just uh, amazed by. And finally, you pass some larger angels into this room of rooms. And it's the very throne room of God where God of, the God of heaven sits. Your name is then announced. This is Luke Pollock. And all of, all of the people in there turn and you walk right in with Jesus. You walk in with fear and trembling then as I imagine it, this is all imaginative of course, but God walks down and he steps down off his throne, walks over to you. And he smiles and says this, because of my son's sacrifice, you are now my son. And I want you to know something. You have access into this throne room at any time, at any time. I want you to see this as a throne of grace where you can find mercy and grace to help in your time of need. I want you to feel that, I want you to sense that you can come in here anytime. What an amazing thing it is to have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Now this is a talking about our standing with God. Yes, our current state right now in this world may be still a struggle with sin, a struggle with obedience and following what God has, says, has said. But because you exercised faith, God's grace has granted you the righteousness you need to stand uh, in that throne room in front of God. See, uh, in our sinful state right now, we would never be able to be in the presence of God. We would be struck dead. But one day, we're gonna have a glorified body, and in our, our state already is settled that we're going, we have this place in heaven in his palace. Now, we're gonna be able to say, and we can say now that I'm here, I'm, I have access by faith. I'm here because of Jesus, not because of me. I'm here because of him. But it's even better, this word stand now <clears throat> is in the present perfect tense. Now this is important because that means it's a continuing action. And this is how we know that this salvation will continue. It's not just you have this standing today and you might not have it tomorrow, or you have this standing today until you do something wrong and no longer do you have this standing or this access. No, what this is saying is you stand in grace this moment and it will be the same tomorrow when you read the Bible too. And it'll be the same the next day when you read the Bible too. You have standing today. You have standing tomorrow and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. It's continuing action. It's never ending access because of Jesus. You're like one of the little kids here at the home church. You can just march into Pastor Tim's office anytime and get a mint. And, and all the little kids around here, no matter how snotty-nosed they are, how ridiculous they look, they can just walk right into the pastor's office and they just know they have access. And they don't think if it's a bad time to walk in there, no. And that's what you have with God. 
You don't ever have to think this might be a bad time. It doesn't even cross your mind. This might be a bad time for God. Who can't? God says, no, don't ever let that cross your mind. Walk on in here. You have access. I won't ever get mad. I won't ever get mad, God says, if you walk right in here and talk to me. You have access by faith into this grace wherein you stand. What a wonderful benefit of salvation. But there's another thing in this verse. And number three, it's the hope of heaven. It says here that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Glory. In this verse, this word glory is speaking about our future state. When God's glory, his full glory, is fully seen by us. We can't see his full glory yet, but one day we will. But not only are we going to see his full glory, but the Bible says we are going to be glorified. That means no more sin. No more sin. We'll never commit another sin. We'll never think another bad thought. There'll be no, no more pain. No more fighting. No more Democrats. Sorry. No, <laughs> that was bad. I'm, really bad. No more fighting. No more abortion. No more cancer. Thank the Lord. No more death. No more ridicule of Jesus. No more dragging Jesus' name through the mud. On that day, there will only be the glory of God. That's it. And look what this does for the believer. When I know that, when that is in my heart, I rejoice. I rejoice in the hope of glory. Hope means confidence or expectation. It doesn't mean I hope so, it means I know so. And as Phillips, uh, the Phillips translation says, it's happy expectation. I like that. It's happy expectation. We rejoice in happy expectation of the glory of God. Why, what does the Christian, listen to me, what does the Christian have to be depressed about? What do we have to be depressed about? As Paul later says in the book of Romans, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's a glorified state coming for us. Do you realize what you get? Do you realize what's coming? A believer is a rejoicer. That's what Paul is saying. A true believer, you are a rejoicer. You rejoice in the fact that you are going to see glory one day. I remember uh, Brother Brian Burnett, we were talking about uh, witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness. And recently, recently, it's been a couple years now, I guess, I had a long conversation with a Jehovah's Witness. And I was asking him questions. I was letting him talk. I, said, I asked him, really, what, how, do you, how do I get to heaven from your perspective here? And I let him just talk and talk and talk. So I then boiled it all down. I said, okay, so, so if I'm really good, if I'm really good, then maybe God will let me in. That's what it boils down to for the Jehovah's Witness. You can be really good. You can, be, you can have all the good works, but you still might not get there. I said, I, I walked away from that. As I tried to witness to him as well, but I walked away just feeling so, so grieved for him and anybody who thinks that. How can a person that's in that kind of a mindset rejoice in anything that God's done? I've all, I'd always be wondering. I don't know. I have no idea. There is zero confidence. There is zero hope in that. 
God wants people who are confident. He wants people who have the hope of glory. He wants them to rejoice in hope of glory. He wants these confident Christians walking around saying, I know, I know, I know where I'm going, and I know what God has done for me, and I can't wait to see his glory fully. He does not want fearful, defeated, despondent Christians. And what about, but what you say then, what about all the challenges we face? The horrible things that people have to go through on this earth. Do you see how bad it is here? The pain is real, and yes, it is. The pain is very real. But that's what Paul addresses next. And here is number four. He says, what you get and I get for being a born-again Christian as an added benefit, you get purpose in pain. Purpose in pain. Verse three, and not only so. That is a fantastic phrase, and he says it again later. Meaning, not only do you get all that we just talked about, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh Patience, and patience, experience, and experience, hope. So here's what he's saying. The born-again Christian with the peace of God, access by faith, the hope of heaven, can look at any tribulation in the face and still rejoice. Rejoice. Not just endure, but rejoice. Now the word glory in this verse, in verse 3 here, we glory in tribulation, is actually the exact same word as was translated rejoice in verse two. So the point is, even in the worst possible tribulation, a Christian can and should rejoice. Rejoice. You say, Pastor Luke, I don't, you've just lost your mind. You do not know what I'm going through. You're saying I rejoice in this? Tribulation, the word tribulation is a very general word here. It can mean any type of pain the deep sorrow that anybody would go through, Christian persecution, cruelty from people, loneliness, sickness, heartache of any kind. The literal meaning of the word tribulation is pressure. It's like God is allowing all of this weight on you and it's, he's just not letting up. He's allowing all this pressure, 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 pressure. And every day you wake up, which just feels like more and more and more pressure. And it's, it's stressful, it, 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 it hurts you not only mentally, but you're feeling, you feeling it going deep down, even, and even physically. It's like, it's like God's just uh, putting you in that pressure cooker. And a question, the question is, how can a person rejoice in that? Our natural feeling is to avoid and eliminate all pressure. <laughs> I want to run from it, I want to stay away from it. But God says here that the Christian can rejoice. Not only does he say we can rejoice, but we need to rejoice. Because we know something. We know a secret. And the secret is that this pressure is producing something good. They know that the only way that God can build certain qualities in us is to put the pressure on. Certain, certain qualities that God wants us to have certain things that he wants us to be able to do for others. But before he gets us there, there has to be pressure, tribulation. You see, because all that God has done for them, they were a sinner. Think about this now. Everything God has done for the believer, 
They were a sinner and now they're justified. They were at odds with God and now they have peace with God. They have full access to the throne of grace. They have a 100% sure home in heaven. All of that is settled. All of that is done and complete and taken care of. And so the believer now, knowing all of that and feeling all of that, the believer now has this uncanny ability to look at a horrible situation and know that if God would take care of all of that, then I know it's the same God who would also use this painful moment, this pressure-filled moment, to actually do something good. He will, he will transform this into something that will actually be a benefit for me and for others. And he actually says what it will build. Number one is patience, or steadfastness, endurance, stability. And that, that patience then will cross over into experience, or a, a word we would use, character. God is trying to build character. It speaks of refining metals, and the dross burning away, refining somebody. And then the last, that experience will build hope, which is a stronger confidence in God that you've, than you've ever had. And that's why the believer can rejoice in tribulation. The late great pastor Vance Havner said, sometimes your medicine bottle on it says, shake well before using. That's what God has to do to some of us sometimes. <laughs> he has to shake us well before we're usable. You know, and you know there are certain traits. You know there are certain traits that we can't get when everything is just always hunky-dory in life. There's just certain things that we don't develop in us. When everything's just fine, I never have to cry out to God for anything, and I'm never stressed about something, I never feel the pressure. And what are those things? Steadfastness, character, hope. I think of so many of you, as I was studying this and going through this, I th was thinking of so many of you this morning. Precious men and women who come to church, you live with pressures of tribulation, I know you do. But so many of you have taught me how to be steadfast. So many of you are steadfast people, full of character and hope. People wonder why you smile all the time, and, you, and we can say, because we can. <laughs> because we can, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, a Christian can rejoice in tribulation. And, that, and that's where God wants to get all of us, to that place where we can rejoice in tribulation. But God is not done here. He also pours out, number five, love in the heart. Look what Paul says next in verse five, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. <laughs> That's a good, uh, good appropriate word for us, the ungodly. Some, num, verse seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this hope, he says here, in verse five, will not make ashamed. This hope, this confidence that we have in the Lord will not make ashamed, which means that it will not disappoint us. <laughs> this hope, this confidence in the Lord will not disappoint in the end. But how do we know that in the end this hope that we have in God won't disappoint us? 
Well, and that, another question might be here, and a good one to, that people might have is, how do we know that this whole salvation thing won't end, and God's just finally going to give up and just say, you know what, forget it. I, yes, I did all this, but you know, you, come on, uh, this is ridiculous. You, you're acting ridiculous. Well, follow the logic here that Paul is using. There's, there's a lot of logic in this. Because God has already poured out his supernatural love. He has already shed abroad his love. That means to pour out. He's already shed abroad his love by the Holy Ghost in us. Here's the question. Why wouldn't God finish the job? He's already done so, so, so much. Do you realize how much he's done? Why would he not finish the job and take you to heaven? You see, trying to put God's love then in human terms, Paul's saying, okay, let me help you understand how big this love is because you obviously don't get it. Someone might be able to die. You might die for a good person. You might die for a righteous person. You might die for a person that you love, someone who's been kind to you and has given you something. But who would die for an enemy? Who would die for a wicked person? Who, has who would die for somebody who's always going around hurting others? Who would die for a thief? Who would die for a murderer? In other words, who would die for someone who's already on death row? Would you die for somebody who's already on death row? That would be excessive. <laughs> that would be excessive love. And Paul is saying, exactly. This is excessive love. God poured out, he shed abroad, and that's what this whole shed abroad thing means. The idea in the Greek is that God's love has been and continues to be poured out and poured out and poured out and poured out in our hearts, his love being poured out through the Holy Spirit who's living in us and he's delivering that to our hearts. And so our hearts could, should be overwhelmed because God, he's saying, do you realize this love that he just keeps pouring out in you, even though you don't deserve it, you drastically don't deserve it, and yet he loves you. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Christ died for sinners, not nice, helpful, lovable people. I'm sorry to just break the news to you. He died for sinners. During the Revolutionary War, there was this faithful preacher of the gospel. His name was Peter Miller. And he lived near this fellow who hated him. He had a neighbor just ha just despised him. And he despised the fact that he was a Christian. He despised the fact that he preached, told others about Christ. And in fact, this man violently opposed him and ridiculed all of his followers. But one day, that unbelieving neighbor was found guilty of treason and sentenced to death. So here's the story. Peter Miller went out on foot to actually intercede for this man. And he, he went before the George Washington. General George Washington listened to this minister's plea, and he said, you know what, I appreciate what you're saying, but I don't think I should pardon this man. He is... He has committed treason, and he's going to die. And, uh, and he said, uh, oh, and how he worded it, George Washington said, I I'm not going to pardon your friend. And so Peter Miller said, whoa, 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 my friend. He's not my friend. <laughs> In fact, he's my worst living enemy. And then the whole meeting changed. George Washington has said, he said, excuse me, you've walked 60 miles here to save the life of your enemy? That, in my judgment, puts the matter in a totally different light. And I grant your request. With pardon in hand, Miller walked and hate, 
went to the place where his neighbor was being executed. He arrived just as the prisoner was going up on the scaffold. And when the traitor saw P- Peter Miller, he said, Ah, old Peter Miller has come to get his revenge by watching me die. But he was astonished as he watched that minister step out and just hand the pardon over to the executioner and spared his life. This is what Jesus did for you and for me. While we were enemies, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So now think of this logically. If he would do that for his enemies, if Jesus would do that, don't you think he'll finish the job for his child? You're his child. You have access by faith. You, you, you have peace with God. Don't you think? Don't you think he'll carry you all the way and get you to glory on that day? Don't you think he'll do that? He has shed abroad his love in our hearts and you should be understanding that and knowing that, that he'll make sure it continues all the way. But God isn't done, and I don't know about you, but I'm already overwhelmed. I hardly can't take anymore. But number six, Paul says, you get salvation from wrath. Verse nine, much more than, much more than, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Guess what? It's not just about what you get in heaven. It's about what you won't get, and that is God's wrath. This is speaking of eternal separation from God in hell. Hear this loud and clear, everybody. The person who is justified by the blood of Christ will be saved from wrath. This is another reminder that we're not going to go through the tribulation here on this earth as well. We will not experience the wrath, the, the eternal wrath of God. Yes, he will discipline his children, absolutely. But this is speaking of his wrath. He disciplines like a father disciplines a child, not in wrath, but in a discipling kind of way. You will feel it at times, and we ought to. But thankfully, we are never going to experience his wrath. Again, we know this because as it says here, if Christ would reconcile his enemy through his death, you know his resurrection will finish the job. His life brings us life, as it says. Because he's alive, his resurrection means you're going to heaven too. It's his resurrection that sealed the deal. If Jesus would have never come out of that tomb, then everything he said would matter as nothing. So Paul said, uh, if, if all we're talking about here is just something on the earth and some things Jesus said and he quoted a few nice sayings and that's what we're talking about, then we are, of most men, miserable. That we're just, just like everybody else. But no, when Jesus rose out of that grave, he confirmed that he's gonna take us to heaven. He holds the key to death and hell. One, another great story I heard as I was going through this and I wanna share it with you. This is a true story. Um, happened in the Middle East in a Bedouin community years ago. And there's two Bedouin young men that were fighting one day. And, and the one young man, because they were fighting so much, one of the young men killed the other young man. So laying there in the sand and bleeding out, this young man was trying to figure out what to do. And he knew that there will be an avenger of blood coming after him. And so according 
to their tradition what he was, and, and knowing that he, was, he would be put to death, he fled across the desert and went to this sprawling tent uh, of the sheikh, the tribal chief. And so he went up to that, he came to the door, asked for the sheikh, the sheikh came and he said, I'm seeking asylum based on the custom of telling the truth and then being able to get the protection of the chief. The sheikh grabbed one of the guide ropes of the tent and promised under God that this young man will have his protection. He will have asylum here with him as long as he stays here under his care. Well, the next day the pursuers came and they demanded that the old man release the young man. And the sheikh said, I will not. He's under my protection. I have given him my word. And they said, but sir, you do not know who he has killed. And he said, it doesn't matter. I have given my word and I will, I will protect him. And they said, he killed your son. The old man fell down to the ground, visibly shaken. And after several minutes, rose up and looked at these men and he said, then he shall become my son. And everything I have will one day be his. This is what God has done for us. We are saved from wrath through him. He protects us. He watches over us. He cares for us. And he's made us a son. He's made us a daughter when we do not deserve it. And lastly this morning is number seven, and that is joy in God. Verse 11. And not only so. Man, <laughs> this is just too much. Not only this, but we also joy in God. Joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement or the reconciliation. Joy could also mean delighting. And it says delighting, joy in God, delighting in God. You get to delight in God. Not just the things that God's done, but he himself. Not just the gift, but the giver. The believer who understands all of this as Paul has explained, will have, if you really get this and you really understand this, then you will have such a rich joy in God. Why do the Christians always smiling all the time? Why do they always seem to be happy all the time? What's the deal? No matter what, it just seems like they can smile. Exactly. Exactly. See, when you have such an, such an understanding of what God has done, an eternal future settled, an access by faith, and I can even in tribulation I can rejoice because there's purpose in the pain, then they will not be able to shut up about Jesus. They sound like a little teen, teenage girl in love. And that you get around some of these saints of God and you'll walk away with such a deeper faith. They just have a well of true joy that no matter what's happening, they can just give and give and give and give. And this is why you see so many believers happy and strong and seemingly unfazed by life. It's not denial, it's divine. And when those joyful suffering saints give that two-word answer now, it's Jesus. <laughs> why can you do that? It's Jesus. Well, Romans 5, 1 through 11 is what they mean by that. I have all this. I have all of this. So that's why I can still rejoice. I can still put a smile on my face. I'm gonna end with this, John Stott's summary of this Romans 5, 1 through 11. 
the significance of these words here. Here's what he says. We should be the most positive people in the world. We cannot mooch around the place with a dropping hangdog expression. We cannot drag our way through life, moaning and groaning. We cannot always be looking on the dark side of everything as negative prophets of doom. No, we joy in God. Then every part of our life becomes suffused with glory. Christian worship becomes a joyful celebration of God and, a, and Christian living a joyful service of God. So come, let us joy in God together. Are you saved this morning? <laughs> well, then act like it. Put your smile on your face and let's rejoice in that. Lord, we love you. We, worship. we hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.